my biggest takeaway was that I've had this sort of just knot almost in my first to third centers. Joe calls them energy centers. They're also known as chakras and even mentioned that, but he doesn't use those terms because some people get triggered by, you know, terms like that that have certain meetings that people have assigned to them. But I'm aware of that now and I'm not giving it all of my energy anymore, which is a huge shift for me. It's not fully dissolved, but it's on that it's on that path and that'll be huge for me. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that just about everyone that listens to this podcast on a regular basis understands the importance of getting nutrient-dense foods and herbs into your body. We also probably realize that this can be inconvenient and or expensive. That's why I'm really happy to keep it simple for you today and to present an amazing product called Athletic Greens. You can find it at athleticgreens.com slash lifestylist. Let me tell you a little bit about what this incredible product does. One tasty scoop of the Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, and just about every green superfood you could imagine. These guys have been around for over a decade, and in that decade, they have produced 53 iterations of this product. So they keep innovating and innovating, making it more digestible, more delicious, more nutrient-dense. So if you're someone who wants to support your health and not necessarily have to change your entire lifestyle and spend tons of money on all the biohacking gadgets and supplements, this is a really easy way to get your foot in a door and to really support your health with convenience and also with a product that tastes great. I mean, I use this stuff. I just chuck it in just about any smoothie I make. I drink it by itself in cold water. I had one of those this morning. It's just something that's really easy to habituate into your life. It doesn't require uh, an incredible amount of discipline or money to get this nutrition into your body. It's also keto, paleo, vegan-friendly, dairy-free, gluten-free, contains less than one gram of sugar. So this is a really great product. I'm so stoked to share it with you guys. If you're ready to check it out, here's what you do. Go to athleticgreens.com slash lifestylist. That's athleticgreens.com slash lifestylist. Go to that link. They're also going to hook you up with a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of the Athletic Greens yummy goodies. Go to athleticgreens.com slash lifestylist. All right, I'm going to make a confession here. I used to put away some alcohol back in the day. I started drinking when I was way too young and uh, hit it pretty hard until I was 26 years old and uh, had to give a full stop at that point. (laughs) I've been doing that for, uh, wow, almost 24 years now. But one thing I do miss at times is the ritual of having a cocktail with some friends or even coming home from work and having a cocktail or many myself. So when I want to have that experience without some of the side effects, I turn to kinuphorics.com slash Luke. 
These guys make some fantastic alcohol-free beverages. The first one being High Road. This is one that gives you a feeling of a lifted mind and a relaxed body. So it's great for a social hour, hanging out with friends, or just unwinding at the end of a long day. They've got another one called Kin Spritz. It's a sparkling brain boost with some amazing nootropic qualities without the crash or hangover. Kin Spritz is one you might pop open at around 4 or 5 p.m., get out of that afternoon slump and shift from work mode into play mode. And then finally, Dream Light, a booze-free nightcap that tastes like Amaro and really melts away stress. It's got some great adaptogenic herbs that are going to help calm and relax you and likely improve your sleep, unlike alcohol that will wreck your sleep, at least if you test your sleep scores. So think of Kinuphorics as the first non-alcoholic drink for grown-ups who care about things like brain function, great sex, hormone harmony, deep sleep, and de-stressing after a hard day at work. You can find Kin Euphorics right here at the link I'm about to drop on you. Go to kineuphorics.com slash Luke. That's spelled K-I-N-E-U-P-H-O-R-I-C-S. That's kineuphorics.com slash Luke. If you use that link, you're going to save yourself 15% off on some amazing non-alcoholic beverages. Enjoy. You, my friends, just won the podcast lottery because this is episode 333 featuring my friend and former two-time guest on the show, Matt Maruka. This episode was recorded on the beach in Marco Island, Florida, the day after the week-long Joe Dispenza retreat ended. Matt and I were geeking out incredibly hard during this event on Dr. Joe's work, especially as it pertained to the pineal gland, light, magnetism, manifestation, the quantum field and how the body actually creates its own DMT. And that's really the basis of Joe's work as far as we could ascertain. Now, my friend Matt is super smart and of course took copious notes during the entire retreat. So I couldn't wait to drop in with him and unpack all of the consciousness work that we were learning and participating in at the event from the biohacking perspective. So what unfolded in this conversation was truly mind-blowing to me especially when we stumbled on how the various wavelengths of sunlight relate to the chakras and directly correspond to how each chakra or energy center, as Dr. Joe refers to them, help raise our spiritual awareness. So make sure to listen through to the end as this one is a mind blower, no pun intended, but uh, what our brains are capable of as they relate to light in our environment is truly just incredible. It's so fascinating. Now, if you enjoy this show as much as I predict you will, please make sure to share it with a couple friends. And before I begin, I feel inclined to offer the disclaimer that neither Matt nor myself are Dispenza trainers or even experts for that matter. What you're about to hear is merely an account of our subjective experiences at the retreat and our interpretation of the work. And this was by far the most transformatively powerful retreat in which I've participated in. And uh, over the years, I've, I've done my fair share of retreats. So it brings me great joy to share this one with you. And if you enjoyed this conversation and you want more, check out episode 328, wherein my fiance, Alice, and I documented the Joe Dispenza experience in play-by-play field reports at the end of each day. Okay, now it's time to sit back, relax, and bask in the inspiration that is my friend, Matt Maruka. Enjoy the show. 
So here we are. This was meant to be the final installment of the field report. And I just realized that's such a funny um, double, what do they call that? Double entendre. entendre? Because that we're, means meaning in French. We're le- oh, it does? Thank yeah. you. We're learning how to be in the field of consciousness, the quantum field with Joe Dispenza this week. But we're also out in the field doing immersive journalism as I like to do. Uh, so we're here with none other than Matt Maruka. And uh, I, ran, I didn't even know Maddie was coming. Ran into him and a couple other friends here. And I thought, oh, Matt's going to fully understand Joe's teachings on the pineal gland, the neurotransmitters, you know, the serotonin, melatonin, uh, dopamine, uh, dimethyltryptamine, all the things that activate one's consciousness and how they relate to light. And so I was like, oh, Matty, take good notes, man. And we'll do a recording. We'll do a, you know, a, a, a basic fundamental breakdown of this. So that's what we're going to do. But before we do that, like... We don't have too much time because I got to drive to Miami right now uh, after this. But what was the overall experience for you this week, Matt, at the Joe Dispenza week-long intensive retreat? Advanced retreat, I guess he calls it. It was amazing. I mean, I came here knowing that there is more on the other side, right? I've done one psychedelic ceremony in my life three years ago, uh, San Pedro in Ecuador, and... Am I allowed to talk on that on the air? Yeah, <laughs> so, of course. Of course. I, uh, I've done the, a lot of them and they, they weren't in Ecuador. I just always say in an undisclosed location, if it happens to be technically okay. illegal. Undisclosed no, location. You can, you can talk about whatever you want. Um, anyway, so that is, you know, and I've done meditation. I've done a lot of things that, and I just being young, my childhood wasn't that long ago, of course, and it's still occurring when things were all play, right? So, I've, but I sort of feel like I lost a lot of that youth through the last couple of years of feeling this grind on my business. And being here was sort of like 100% reassuring me of the fact that that other way of existing is real. And it, it doesn't have to be chronic, you know, stress or challenges after challenges. There is a way to be living that's so far beyond the physical patterns of the three-dimensional world that is so easy to fall into. So, I mean, we were doing day after day, as you know, there's 6 a.m. the first three days and we're up at 4 a.m. doing four and a half hour meditations, two days in a row. We're doing teaching, then meditation, teaching, then meditation. Joe sets up a model on, he's basically subconsciously programming our brains to both logically understand and subconsciously understand the experience he's setting us up for in the meditation. So he'll explain the energy centers and then he'll put us through a blessing of the energy centers meditation. He'll explain the pineal gland and he'll put us through a pineal meditation. He'll explain the way that our prana moves through our spinal cord or really up this channel and how when we do this certain breath where we suck in our stomach and squeeze our perineum and squeeze our core, we pump, we push that fluid up to our brain and then he'll put us through that breath. So any doubt anyone has from their logical brain about, oh, is this science-based or is this just woo-woo is eliminated because the science is so, which we're going to talk about here, is so robustly solid that there's literally no ability. You can't, you just can't deny it unless you're being unscientific, you know? And the funny thing is in, you know, a lot of yogic traditions, they do these things and they just have faith because of the masters who figured it out. And that's cool. But, you know, science is, is real and it, it has 
some good implications. Like we have these phones and things like these Zoom headsets that occur because of scientific advancements. So when you can put those two together, it's like modern science is finally proving the stuff that people have known for five, 10 or more thousands of years. And that's what Dr. Joe really is bringing to the world, which for me is like, nothing is more interesting to me than that. I agree. It's it's funny you talk about the yogic traditions. You, you know, I've talked to you about Kundalini Yoga and I, I, I don't know, I go through phases with things. That phase was eight or nine years of doing that quite regularly and with much devotion and did teacher training and things like that. Uh, the the man who brought, he's, he's quite controversial now because there were all these allegations about his misbehavior. And I, I've honestly not looked that deep into it. I never followed the man. I just followed the teachings and I still maintain that. And you know, for the record, if anyone was harmed by this man, I, I find that to be very unfortunate as someone who was also victimized in, in ways uh, that are much uh, similar to the accusations being made against Mr. Yogi Bhajan. However, the teachings are there. The yoga is there. I was doing it for years. And uh, in those teachings, he would always talk about, oh, and this increase your magnetic field. This makes 10 foot magnetic field, you know? And I'm like, really? Like, how do you know, like, where's the proof? How do you know that? Like, where is he coming up with this shit? I would always think in class. And I just think, you know what? I'm going to suspend judgment and the analytical mind because that got me to where I am, which was not a great place in some cases. And I'm just going to do the yoga. And after every class, I would be so elated. I would have uh, sometimes, you know, fractal uh, visions, almost psychedelic experiences doing the Kundalini yoga. And much of the practices were very similar to what Joe's doing, you know, the energy centers and the chakras and moving the spinal fluid up into your brain. And he would talk about the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, the, um, the, uh, uh, pineal gland. I mean, this is all teachings in the yoga, but I'm like, this guy's not a doctor. There's no, I don't see any studies. There's no proof. I just know that spiritually it awakened me. It, it, over time, it moved the energy out of my lower chakras of survival and, sexual conquest and these kind of things that were driving me in many cases when I was younger and I became much more open in my heart and capable of intimacy and on and on and on. Just so many awakenings as a result of that Kundalini yoga. But still, even though it worked and I kept doing it, I was like, yeah, but where's the proof? Like, where's the empirical evidence? And so with you, I think it's so fascinating what Joe's done is he's like, cool, here's brain scans, here's HRV, here's blood work, here's this, here's that. I mean, so many different yeah. metrics by which Ooh. he's- Ooh, This could get interesting. Where he's, he's actually- <laughs> want to talk about the COVID research. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. We'll save that for later. I don't but, think we could say that yeah. word. And I'm going to be deep. Everyone's getting censored. You know, this oh, week I totally, I, I deleted Twitter off my phone. I'm like, I'm out. I'm done but with this, this shit. This is the first time, this is science. Like yeah. a lot of the stuff people are saying is science. But anyway, so yeah. Kundalini's gotten you yeah, so anyway, huge that's leaps and bounds. That's, you know, that's that. Point is, I just had faith because the evidence to me was uh, quantified by my subjective experience and the, the ways in which I, I grew and continued to grow spiritually and the ways that I was able to access consciousness, working with the energy of the human protoplasmic meat suit system, you know, the bioenergetics the morphogenic field, everything that makes up the human body as this sort of interpreter of reality, right? Through our senses, we actually create our reality. And I started to really learn that in a more esoteric, far out way through the yoga. Now I'm seeing, oh my God, this is actually, this is the blueprint of the entire universe. This is the blueprint of existence that the field creates matter, right? And so, and that has everything to do with light, And so that's where I want to go with you in this conversation is really, 
I mean, this might end up not be a 20 minute segment, but a three hour podcast. It is what it is. You we'll know? do what we can. Allison's over here going, really? We got to get to Miami. No three hour podcast, but we'll, we'll sew it up. But I think we'll, what I want to we'll do a great job. What I want to cover with you is biochemistry of the, of the brain uh, and how these things affect our mood. And ultimately our mood creates our, our reality and our destiny. And then also the physics of light and how light affects the brain and yeah. all of all of the sciencey stuff that we're learning here that supports these practices in their ability to allow us to self heal and to transform our reality and also to to not only transform our current reality based on our perception of it but actually to draw out of the field the reality in the world of matter oh that gosh, we I seek you, to Luke. experience as sentient beings here in this incarnation so and we can probably cover that in about eight minutes. Well, <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I would just say as Joe would joke, I'm sure there's a potential in the quantum field that we could have a very robust conversation about all these subjects in a not in under an hour. So, so there's a couple of things that come up right off the bat. First of all, I completely agree with you. I want to get into how the field affects matter and how Einstein said the field is the sole governing agent of the particle. In other words, like energy always drives matter whether it's sound energy, vibrational energy. You know, when the Big Bang Theory erupted, I was reading about it recently, and that's the standing idea of the best concept of how the universe began in Western science. There was actually, believe it or not, there were other energies besides even light, like just pure forms of sort of like magnetism, electromagnetism, and different nuclear forces that led to the creation of the first matter before even light was really a thing. And that kind of shocked me because I kind of always thought light was really at the core, but light is an electromagnetic wave, which is a manifestation of even more fundamental energetic principles in the universe. And so what I got from that... Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Please. I just thought of the biblical reference and then there was light. Exactly. Right? And it says, and then exactly. there was light. So no, but that's perfect. There's something before light. So it was, and in, in, the, in the ancient Eastern traditions, they call it sound. They refer to it as sound, but it's really more like vibration because sound is a movement of matter. What we call sound is a movement of matter and the matter came after the light. So it wasn't really sound, but that's how the Easterners could best explain it. But it's just vibration. It's an energy that's more fundamental. It's almost like the prerequisite to electromagnetic energy. So the, 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 the verse is in the beginning, actually, how does it go? The, the, the Genesis one through six, it's in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without, was without form and darkness was upon the surface of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So the first thing oh, was God spoke. Light. Okay, okay. So the Got speech it. came. So that was the vibration in the Old Testament. You know what I'm saying? Got it, So yeah. light came after God spoke, which is the original. So now whether we're going to say that the biblical account of creation is exactly accurate or not, it's, that's not what we're trying to do here. But it's just that that represents this concept similarly to the way that the Easterners portrayed it and the way that Dr. Dispenza is portraying is that there's this single unified field, singularity, source, oneness, all is one. You know what he calls, there's a million names for God. And from that manifests down through these, some would call the laws of physics, some would call it creation, whatever you want to use. 
but it manifests down from these sort of what Joe calls higher frequencies and it slowly condenses this energy and it becomes matter. So that's where matter comes from. But so the point is all the matter that exists is a result of changes in the energy of the field that governs the matter. Hence Einstein saying the field is the sole governing agent of the particle. And so this is like now super esoteric, not esoteric, but not clear exactly to what we're talking about. The reason this is relevant for listeners is because when Dr. Joe is teaching, it's all about changing our field through changing our beliefs, which are electromagnetic waves essentially in the quantum field. And by doing that, by really unwinding beliefs, we can, he believes, more effectively than any psychedelic, any diet, anything like that, we can change our physiology completely by changing the field. So, and he always says, matter trying to change matter doesn't really work, but energy trying to change matter works. So, this- Or that matter, when you're in the dense energy of matter, when the particle has become separate from the wave or concentrated in that way. It's not that matter can't affect matter. It just takes a long time. And then you're in the realm of space and time. So if I want to get from here over to the beach and I'm only in the world of matter, then there is time and space. There's a distance there. But if I'm in the field and with I'm within consciousness, this is where remote viewing and these types of consciousness phenomenon take place is when we center our focus and energy and the sense of who and what we are in the field then manifestation of matter is much faster because we're then above the speed of light. It's very interesting. So Joe says you go from space and time to time and space is sort of the shift he's explaining. Um, And it kind of makes sense in a way, you know, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, but if you're in the eternal present moment, you have the thought of the experience of being on the beach. That is a nut, you're one point of consciousness in the universe and that's the other point of consciousness in the universe. You might say that you're walking to go to the beach, but he argues based on the way that we perceive the world, and this is a 180 view of the world from what I've entirely lived in and what we all live in, is that you don't walk to the beach, you're drawing the beach to you in the eternal present moment, in your eternal present moment, you are drawing the beach to you because you have the intention to get there. Yes, you're moving your body and so on, but the way he explains it, it's such that we are literally, by ideating our future and creating our future in our head, we can literally attune ourselves to the, the, what he says, frequency at which that future resonates. And again, this is still hard for me to really wrap my head around and accept, but essentially he's saying that in the quantum field, we're actually bringing that future to us if we're living in the eternal present moment, because I'm just this being that's here. Sure, I might move my arms and my legs and I might, but I'm in this eternal present moment, which is me all the time, everywhere in some sense. And these things can only come to you if you really have a clear picture of what it is and then you hold that picture. Whereas if we live in this constant state of the old patterns, the old energetic blockages in our field, then we are energetic patterns, we can call them not even just blockages, then we will constantly keep drawing in the same experiences. Like you could have a hard time with your friends in one place because you're maybe not being a kind person. You go somewhere else and then you just find the same issues there. It's not the places, it's the field that you are carrying and the reality you're attuned to. Right, it's, it's like it's that. what you're accepting and believing. It's like that saying, uh, wherever you go, there you are. Exactly, but that's exactly <laughs> So if the it. you is the same you, then you know what? The I there hate this is town. the same there. I'm moving out of this town, I'm, I'm getting a divorce, I'm quitting my job, and then you recreate that same experience with a different face or a different you know, GPS so location, this. right? You've gone somewhere else, 
but you're still in the same reality. So when you put it in that context, Joe's explanation of staying in one place, which is the eternal present, and drawing your future to you actually can make more sense because it's not so much about physically where we are. It's about the experience we're having in the quantum field. It doesn't mean I could sit here all day and just hope that food's gonna appear on this table, but you know, if you're living in the eternal present moment, the food will get to this table and it won't feel like it was a really hard process, you know, to get up and get it or to get the waiter. That's kind of what I'm taking away from that, you know, is when we're in the eternal present, and this is something I have not lived in for most of my life. I've been living in these emotions of, you know, fear. And that was my biggest takeaway was that I've had this sort of just not almost in my first to third centers. Joe calls them energy centers. They're also known as chakras and even mentioned that, but he doesn't use those terms because some people get triggered by, you know, terms like that, that have certain meetings that people have assigned to them. But I'm aware of that now and I'm not giving it all of my energy anymore, which is a huge shift for me. It's not fully dissolved, but it's on that, it's on that path and that'll be huge for me. So there's a couple of things I want to say in regards to what you said about Kundalini earlier on, and then we should just get straight into DMT, light and yeah. melatonin. But so first of all, the magnetic field around the body, anyone who doubts that science should look up heart math because he, he talked about them a lot. They're actually measuring the magnetic fields created by the heart. When the heart's in coherence, the field's bigger. When it's not, smaller. And it's measurable up to fi- currently, uh, according to you know the, the measuring technology that they have uh, developed or acquired, it's measurable up to 50 feet away. Yeah, exactly. Right? I heard 22 feet a couple years ago, but this is the cool part, is that based on the laws of physics, and this is where Joe's work gets really interesting, and I really appreciate it, is that fields in the universe never stop. Like every electromagnetic field always continues, or every field goes for an infinite distance, actually. It's just whether it's detectable or not. You know what I'm saying? So the light light emitted by any star, for example, is it goes forever. It's just so faint after a certain point that you could never even hope to detect it. But it's like the butterfly effect. Like one flap of a butterfly's wings could move a little bit of air and it can change everything. Now that's sort of the opposite effect because that's going from really small to really big. And I'm talking about something like a star's light going from really big to really small. But so the point is there's a guy named Robert O'Becker who actually anyone who's listening to this and finds this interesting should go back and listen to the episode we recorded in September of 2017. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I was young and very excited and forgive my, my <laughs> immaturity at the time, please, if you listen. But I definitely- Hey, that was a very popular- it was, was that a, the one in New York? Yeah, it was yeah. one in New York. And it was a top download for dude, a good was, high up there. That was- that was my number one download for a couple of years yeah. after that. Eventually, I think you were taken out by uh, by Bruce Lipton. Legendary. Fair enough. You know yeah, what I mean? I'll he, take it. Slightly more credible than you, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah on paper, on paper, yeah, of course. Paper. But yeah, I was, I was really... You know what that really proved to me? I'm just digress for a second was that... And this has really actually informed the way that I mm, envision and, and create this podcast is... You know, from one school of thought, it's like you need to get the biggest names on your podcast and that gives you credibility or helps you get other big names on your podcast. So I'm sure it helped that I had had Bruce Lipton on when I reached out to Joe's people to get Joe Dispenza on. And and there's some truth to that. You, you know, there's the credibility and having what I call an anchor guest. It's like if you buy a piece of commercial real estate and you get a target in there and you want to open up a nail salon next door, your nail salon is going to do a lot better because there's an anchor property in there or an anchor business. So you have an anchor guest. But your episode proved to me that it's more about the quality of the conversation and the energy of the conversation. And you were totally unknown. What were you, 19? Yeah, I was 18. 18? Like, <laughs> just turned 18. No one knew who the hell you were. I didn't know who the hell you were, but I just liked you and you seemed really smart. 
And he just had such great energy. I was like, I'm going <laughs> to give this kid a, a shot. Like, what I the hell? I appreciate it. You know, what, and you launched the business in what, doing so. What do sure. I have to lose? You know? Um, but, but now, it's, I use that to inform my guest <laughs> selection process. And, you know, and I'm not, not tooting my own horn, but I get a lot of requests. I mean, daily, just, I don't know, sometimes a dozen emails a day of like, hey, this person wants to be in your podcast from publicist or the people themselves. And I'm sure the vast majority of them are amazing and would be great guests and the show would be fine. But it's my sweet spot is selecting people. And I really love now having people on that they've never, ever been on a podcast before, but they've invented a really cool technology or they have a teaching or a point of view or perspective that's just really unique. And I want to amplify their message and, and help put them on the map and, and you know get them um, more eyes and ears on what they're doing because I think it could contribute not only to the quality of the show, to their life, but also to humanity at large because they, they've uh, unleashed, uh, you know, they've uncracked a code that I want to share. And so anyway, thank you for being a guest that fit thank in you. the category of being unknown. And then the audience responded with, we like this. We don't want to hear the huge author or public speaker necessarily. He's been on 30 podcasts yeah, already, exactly. Yeah. They're like, ooh, who's this interesting person with a very nuanced perspective that Luke found? So I really, I say pride myself, but it it has become one of my superpowers that I continue to cultivate is really having an eye for the talent. And with that, I will apologize to anyone who's, you know, submitted themselves to be on the show. And you're like, why does he always say no? That's my secret sauce. Like that's why the show has been successful is in, or one of the reasons is in, in, in my ability and also my discernment on like who exactly I have sit in that seat. Cause you only really have one episode a week and there's millions of brilliant talented people out there to have conversations with. So, And that's the energy. You know, you're listening, as Joe might say, you're feeling the quantum field, what the energy you're getting off a person is. And your soul, one might argue that your soul or your field knows before you even read the email or before you even, if you see them, before you even talk to them, if it's a good fit. I mean, that's, that's interesting, but it's possible. So this is why I want to talk yeah. about Becker. So anyone yeah. who listens to that first podcast, I believe I talked about a guy named Robert O'Becker and his protege, Andrew Marino. So Robert O'Becker is very famous. He wrote, he, well, first he was a, to keep this brief, he was a resident in medical school to be an orthopedic surgeon operating on bones during World War II. So at the biggest hospital in Manhattan. So if you can imagine what was happening, lots of men are coming back, getting their limbs cut off. And he took an interest to understanding why salamanders can regenerate their bones and why humans can't. So he looked at all the past research, which he documents in his book, The Body Electric, and then began doing research himself, finding that the key component present in bone regeneration was electricity, opposing electrical currents occurring in the bone and the sites of the injury and so on, and any wound healing, not just bone. And he took this and researched further and found it wasn't just wound healing, it was all cell differentiation. In other words, we start as an embryo with a bunch of stem cells or blastocyst cells, they're primordial cells. These cells all have the same genes. Think about that for a second. All the cells in an embryo have the same exact genetic code. They all have the same 23 chromosomes. How does one cell turn into a, like a kidney and the other turns into a liver if we're just going off of the gen genetic code imprinted in this it's completely impossible. 
Because again, every single cell has, every single cell in the whole body has the same exact set of information. So how do they know which information to turn on and off, which to express and which not to express? Is that gene expression? It's genetic expression. Okay, and okay. how does that, but how, you get what I'm saying kind of? Yeah. So, yeah. so what he found is it's the field. There's a field that's present that directs the growth of the organism. And the genetics are not so much the guides of the development of the organism, so much as a record of the past that's basically putting, setting things in motion to both express the field and to keep track of changes in the field. So when we change our environment and we go through, like Joe says, evolution, the genes are a record of the changes in the field and the environment. And this was a big thing that I learned from Dr. Jack Cruz. And it was a big thing. And even Darwin talked about that more important than what he called natural selection, which is the current theory of evolution, which is very gene-based not field-based and environment-based, is that the more important thing than the natural selection is what Darwin, who's the father of all of the evolutionary theory, is that the conditions of existence, as he referred to them, were more important than the genes themselves, the natural selection. And this is something Dr. Cruz really hammers home a ton in his research. And we've, you know, we both know him pretty well and have spoken a lot about his work and you've interviewed him several times. Very, very smart guy. And so, he basically describes how when these conditions of existence change, which is the environment changing, that's what affects genetic expression. That's what affects it. But so the point is in the case of the embryo or a stem cell that turns into whatever it needs to, that's all directed by different fields. And Becker found this in his research. So it just gives a whole new level of meaning for biology beyond just quantum physics, which is where Einstein was, that the field is the sole governing agent of the particle because even in our cells, the field is what governs the matter. So when Joe talks about, you know, doing this meditation and tapping into our field, we are literally, you know, in Becker's book, there's a picture on the front of the body electric that shows basically a human body with the field around it. And he was one of the first researchers to really document that. So when we're doing these meditations, we're doing this work with Dr. Joe, we're consciously using our energy and attention to identify and make changes in our field and to that and then that affects the body and that's why people can have such crazy tremendous healings when they really use their energy and focus it enough to overcome certain blockages but the reason I bring up Becker was because in our discussion of heart math and the field and the fields go on infinitely he proposed at the end of the book after doing all this research and interestingly enough, his lab was shut down. He worked at the Veterans Administration in Syracuse, New York, and his lab was shut down because his protege, Andrew Marino, was studying the health effects of high voltage transmission power lines on these extremely subtle electromagnetic systems in our bodies. And that started presenting really controversial outcomes that did not look good for the Navy who needed radar to keep going through the Cold War oh. and for the power companies who wanted to deliver power. So because Becker and Marino were researching together, they closed Becker's lab as a result of wow. the threat to the Navy. And he's a Veterans Administration lab. And so they, they shut down his funding after a while. But he got enough research in where it, it really solidified things. But the point is, at the end of the book, after all this deep science about how the field governs life, and that is the, the, the field is the, the field of study is called bioelectromagnetism. So electromagnetic energy in biology, basically. But he proposed, he said, things that have been previously thought to be absurd, impossible, crazy, such as telepathy, you know, remote learning. There's studies that show that if an animal on one place learns a trait, 
that the, the whole species didn't know before, but they get one animal to learn it in one place. The other animals on a completely different place on the planet are much quicker to be able to learn that. The hundredth monkey principle. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that is the idea. So based on this, what I just said earlier, that the fields really do travel to infinity, we might not be able to measure them, but how foolish would it be for us to say that it's impossible that that could possibly happen when the research is so supportive of that? In other words, that, you know, that this, there needs to be more research. But so when Dr. Joe has to sit in the room and do these coherence healings where we all channel our energy on certain points of attention, these pictures of some people who, the healies who have some issue and they're not in the room, they're elsewhere in the world. To say that that couldn't possibly work is just absurd and unscientific. So people will say, oh, that's who you're talking about. But actually any perspective that is not open to considering that possibility is unscientific because science is the, is the, art of challenging what you think you know. So you build hypotheses and you break them down. And anything that's, things can become a theory. Things that are really, really well-tested could become a law. Uh, most things are just theories and hypotheses. So anyone who, the whole idea of something scientific is that you have to be able to disprove your hypothesis. You know, in other words, in science, you make a hypothesis and you create experiments to try to disprove it. You don't create experiments to try to prove your hypothesis. That's not what science is. Oh, that's interesting. That's how science is that's supposed cool. to run. So anyone who comes on and again, they say, oh, this is woo-woo, dispenses woo-woo. You're just not, you're not operating on scientific principle if you just write something off as woo-woo because you're, you're being closed-minded and It's so funny because I'm thinking about the, the cultural brainwashing meme trust the science trust the science exactly. trust the science and that's i want to go there think, next yeah i'm always thinking like really guy uh, really lady have you looked at the science mm -hmm. anyway well, so, another topic altogether and one more thing there's one more thing i want to bring up before we get into light melatonin and dmt and basically that is what you said about your subjective experience with kundalini yoga first of all if you feel something and you experience it that is as far as i'm concerned the best first-hand evidence you could possibly obtain. And there's all these people out there who are, in my opinion, intent on us being disconnected from ourselves. And so they'll say something like, well, if it isn't proven by a research study, then it's bullshit. You know, or if there isn't a clinical trial done that only large pharmaceutical companies can afford to do, then it's bullshit. To me, that level of thinking is bullshit. Um, and, and the cool part, like Dr. Joe talks about, again, is that it's not my intention to change anyone's mind who believes that. It's just to say, dude, you think you're scientific? You're literally, the, you couldn't be less scientific if you believe these things we're talking about here. So that, that brings me to Becker's protege. Go ahead. It, it, hold, hold that thought because you're Got really you. good at holding thoughts when I interject. <laughs> oh, I have a notepad. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. I think by now most people listening to this show acknowledge the importance of having a strong immune system. So most of us probably eating a pretty healthy diet, getting our exercise in, taking the vitamin C, zinc, and other supplements that help support the immune system. But what if I were to tell you that the missing link might just be in the gut? Yes, the gut is responsible for 70% of your immunity. That's why I want to tell you about a product today called Leaky Gut Guardian. And you might be thinking, I don't need a gut guardian. My gut's fine. Well, studies show that nearly everyone has at least some form of leaky gut to some degree. It's just a byproduct of the way we live in our current world, unfortunately. Leaky Gut Guardian is the only formula that can repair compromised gut lining and help it rebuild with the right probiotics and prebiotics. It also eliminates bad bacteria and feeds the good bacteria and gives your immunity the strength it needs to fight off viruses, bacteria, and everything else present in our environment. 
Best thing about Leaky Gut Guardian is it's super easy to use and actually tastes good. You, you wouldn't think something for your gut is actually flavorful, but it is. They've got chocolate carnivore and vegetarian vanilla. And it's also very easy to just add into your lifestyle. Keep it on the counter when you make your morning coffee, smoothie, even a glass of water, put a scoop in there, one and done. You're good to go for the day. So that is what I've got to tell you today, my friends. Uh, you know, doing all the other things is really important. I'm all about having a holistic, well-rounded, healthy lifestyle, but it's really important that we all take care of our guts. So that would be a good reason to check out Leaky Gut Guardian. You can find it right here. Go to buyoptimizers.com slash Luke. That's spelled B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S. Buyoptimizers.com slash Luke. And if you are smart enough to use the code Luke10 at checkout, you're going to save 10% off any order, including the aforementioned product Leaky Gut Guardian. That's buyoptimizers.com slash Luke. And now back to the interview. What about, okay, when we're talking about the infinite distance with which a field can travel, let's say a magnetic field, what about the power of said field as it diminishes through the inverse square law, right? So if my cell phone is one foot from my head, the amount of radiation is however many fold greater than if it's six feet away from my mm-hmm. head, right? It drops exponentially. It and so it's, it's, it's really kind of, weak, really fast. It's a log- logarithmic scale when you talk about the inverse square law. So I wonder in terms of something like the remote energy healing where we're holding in mind and in feeling and going into the field and trying to affect someone who happens to be located in South Africa right now versus someone who's just across Florida I 100 wonder, miles yeah. away, you know? Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because based on what you're saying, it's like the effects are you know, just like you said about the phone getting weaker when you even just put it six feet away, at the point that it would even get to 100 miles away, whatever field we're putting off is so exponentially smaller or weaker than it was when it left our body. But I I believe, and this is what Becker proposed at the end of the book, I didn't really do it justice. He said there's something what he calls the biosphere, which is since all these organisms are electromagnetic, he said, you know, we have all these layers of the atmosphere, but and and then there's the crust of the earth and we go down. But he's saying like, living organisms create fields, electromagnetic fields. So we need to consider adding another layer to the earth's layers from the core to the mantle, to the crust, then to the atmosphere layers, the stratosphere and the ionosphere and whatnot. We need to add the biosphere, he said, because living organisms are literally electromagnetic and you have the entire surface of the planet covered in them. Don't you think that maybe there's some kind of energetic field that's present created by all these organisms, which if we could tap into it, we could affect it in such a way that even if it's some small impact, it could have a huge change in someone on the other side of the planet. And this goes again to something Dr. Cruz talks about a lot, which is nonlinear physics, which is basically to say that even with something, something like sunlight, a small dose of that light can have huge impacts on the body, tremendous impacts on the body. And in a similar way, it's possible, doesn't mean it's proven scientifically, but that we could have nonlinear effects with this energy. In other words, a tiny change in the field, that intention that goes out in that energy, just a little bit could possibly be enough to heal someone on the other side of the planet or have that moment of telepathy that many people have claimed to have had or for people to basically divinate or intuit information from the biosphere, from the field of the universe even. 
again, I'm not saying I believe that this is all 100% true and factual or science-based. I'm just saying it's possible. And that's for sure. It's very possible. And there's even a lot of evidence that we've just gone through that makes it very possible. It doesn't mean it's even probable, but it's very, very possible. There's evidence there. So the last thing is regarding your subjective experience with Kundalini. I think that the subjective experience is very important. But so what this guy, Andrew Marino, who was Becker's protege, was studying was the effects of these fields from power lines on the body. Now, that's not something I really want to get into, but the name of his book was called Going Somewhere, Truth About a Life in Science. And the really relevant piece of that book that was so interesting to me was that when he would go to court to basically you know, be a scientific witness to defend people who were getting power lines built over their house, and he actually had gone and gotten a JD, a uh, Juris Doctor, which is a doctor of law in, or teacher of law or something like that in... Um, law school, basically a law degree. So he was a PhD and a lawyer. And the reason he got that was because he had some lawsuit on his own challenge in his own personal life that he had to deal with. And he didn't want to be able to be taking it, taken advantage of by people who knew the law better than he did. So in doing so, he was able to pr like present a very strong threat to the telecommunications. Well, telecom didn't actually exist, the power industry at the time in the 70s and 80s, really. And in other words, when they would go up and grill him as a scientific witness, because he understood the law and how to talk like a lawyer, they couldn't knock him down. So what they had to do was just basically hire. This is really interesting. We did talk about this on the three-year-ago episode because it's very important to me. But they had to hire these other companies had to hire as many researchers as they could afford to pay with Yale and Princeton and Harvard degrees to say that Marino's science, not that it was wrong, but all they had to say was that it's not generally accepted by the scientific community. So until 1992, I believe, that was the standard for the admission of scientific evidence into a court of law was that it has to be generally accepted by a scientific community. In other words, if most scientists believe the earth is flat, in spite of all evidence against it, it's true in a court of law in the United States of America until 1992, which is absurd, just to be clear. But that's to basically <laughs> to say that if you and I agree on, if, if enough people agree on something, it's true. That's, wow. that's what the, the, that's the standard until 1992 in our country. It's like we're living in the middle ages, the dark oh ages. My God. But so what happened was Marino lost all these court cases because that was the standard that they had. Now what happened after his sort of, his career wasn't over. He's still been working on this stuff, but he sort of lost the battle, at least. The war has yet to be finished. The war is, is ongoing about EMFs and you know it's going to get big, but it was an early battle and it, it lost big time. Um, so cell phones exploded and microwaves exploded. And so after his whole thing was kind of done and he sort of retired from trying to help everyone who didn't want to be helped, basically, uh, instead just getting shut down, just like Snowden and Julian Assange and people like that who try to help us and then we just shoot them down. Like the, you know, Plato's allegory of the cave, so it's like Socrates was this great leader. He was like the first sort of philosopher in Greece. And he was teaching people of a way of thinking and living, similar to what Dr. Joe's talking about, that was able to get them beyond their limited focus. And so he was killed. They gave, they gave him a poison he had to eat for these beliefs in Greece. And then Plato, who was his student, wrote this thing called the Allegory of the Cave, where there's all these people in a cave, and they all they have this experience of what they think the world is. They're in a cave, and it's dark, and there's sound, and there's not really any light, and that's it. And then someone actually gets out and shows them, like, hey, guys, there's actually so much more out here. And then they kill him brutally. Oh, and man. so that's, 
that's the allegory of the cave. It's basically saying that the people who try to free us are the ones who we crucify and we, you know, put on trial like Snowden and stuff like that, or just, you know, people like the dispensers get, you know, all kinds of negative reports in the media. But anyway, so that is something Marino was trying to do. Anyway, his whole thing was, was passed. But then in the nineties, there was a court case, Merrill Dow, which is a pharmaceutical company against a family called Daubert. I don't remember the woman's first name. I would guess it's Elizabeth or Melissa, something like that. But anyhow, she sued Merrill Dow because the drug she was taking for morning sickness caused her child to have birth defects. So that was a, Whereas EMFs, and it was really about the power industry, that wasn't something that the public had much of an eye on because people didn't understand the issue because cell phones didn't exist yet. It was just high voltage transmission lines and that was about it. So when this much more emotionally charged lawsuit came about, the lawyers went to Andrew Marino, who was the expert in environmental law is kind of what it was called. And, And this sort of, the dance between scientific evidence and the courtroom because he had a PhD and he had a law, a law degree. And they basically said, what should the, they said the judges are ready to rule in our favor. The Supreme Court, all the judges want to rule in our favor. They know we're right. And they know Merrill Dow's drug caused this woman's baby's birth defects. And they just need to know how do we want to argue the case so that they can make the ruling in such a way that it will allow this issue in the, in the scientific legal system to be fixed. And what the change that occurred was basically that the, he told them scientific truth or truth is not a product of people of something that people believe. It's a product of the method that's used to obtain it, AKA science. In other words, something isn't true because people agree on it. It's true because you've proven it, or at least you've tried to disprove it a hundred times and you haven't been able to. And that was changed to be the standard. So it used to be, uh, I forget the name of the old standard, the Fry standard, F-R-Y-E, because that was the name of the judge who set it in place in like the 1920s was that it has to be generally accepted. And the reason they came up with that was because someone tried to get off a murder charge by using a lie detector box, which is obviously bullshit. They didn't know what else to say other than this isn't accepted by the scientific community in the 1920s, so or whatever it was, late 1800s. And so this is the standard. And that stayed for most of the 1900s. Then in this case, they said no, Now the new standard is the Daubert standard, and this is called a precedent in law, and the precedent is still being accepted. Get this, in almost every court case, the only people campaigning for the precedent to go back to the Fry standard are telecommunications companies. Yes, because they want to be able to pay as many scientists as they can to make it so that, and that's still happening. There's still ongoing lawsuits since the 2000s about telecom, and they're campaigning for the Fry standard. So anyhow, um, so the Daubert standard is in place, and it's mostly used in these court cases. So that's the deal with what um, Andrew Marino found. The reason I say this is regarding your, your experience with Kundalini. People are so close-minded about how the world really works and how science really works to think that, you know, just because you have a, a little flag in your front yard that says science is science and this is that and this is that, that that's complete bullshit. Science is not science. Most scientists and most research is completely driven by the agenda of the money that's funding it. So when people say science is real or science is science, it's like, it's like saying, I don't know, anyone who's teaching anything is right because they're a teacher. It's like complete BS. Science is just a process to try to obtain truth. You still have to use your brain as an individual to discern what's true or not. So you get what I'm saying? It's like this limited focus. And this is so relevant for Joe's work and the, the stuff that many people call woo-woo and the stuff even you talk about that I like to talk about a lot of the time, even though you might dabble more in the woo, as some would call it, than I would. Uh, or than I do, but I love it all, you know, but it's just, 
people we're, we're closed minded and that needs to that needs to stop cuz science isn't science science is just a method to get stuff and it has to be done properly and people have to each exert their own cognitive rationality and not just accept something cuz some phd says it's true so that's really the point i want to get across that's and that's awesome. relevant for this subject so now let's get into Great. Light, melatonin, and DMT. That's so That's so good. This is so fun. I always love talking to you. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm glad we had the idea to turn on microphones. I'm just like checking the battery. Yeah, um, cool. Yeah, because we would sit and have this conversation, but probably not to the extent because there's people around and we're doing stuff. Oh, let's go eat. Let's go here. Let's go there. So when you're plugged into a microphone, it sort of forces you to dive a little bit deeper. So super fun. Let's dive in to uh, exactly what you just indicated, which to me is almost the most fascinating part of this because I've had so many mystical experiences uh, using just my body and breath and intention and prayer and mantra and all the things and also had very similar experiences, albeit uh, quite a bit deeper and intense with exogenous helpers like the DMT, toad, psilocybin, ayahuasca, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Ketamine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I one. did a podcast with Ben Greenfield. He accidentally, he meant to do like a squirter of hoppe up his nose, yeah. two squirts of hoppe, you know, to clear up. He accidentally did intranasal ketamine. Oh, he God. talks about it. He was totally tripping balls on the beginning. Of oh, the, I was at his house and we were recording and he talks about it on the interview. Oh, it was God. hilarious. That's the, the, the light diet podcast for I anyone would, who's interested in interviewing Ben Greenfield. That's funny. I would not like to accidentally take ketamine. In fact, <laughs> no. the first couple of times I did it, I didn't realize how important it was to be laying down when you administer it. So I... A couple of times I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go have a meditation. I actually do Joe's, or I haven't done it in a long time, but I do a microdose of ketamine and do a really long dispensa meditation. But a couple of times I did a couple of sprays of the oxytocin ketamine in the nose and then it's like, oh, I got to go do something. And then I'm fiddling around in the house and I would be walking out to my hyperbaric chamber where I usually do these sessions. And I'm halfway up the stairs going, oh my God, I feel like, I feel like the worst parts of alcohol, you know, like just kind of nauseous and groggy, can't walk straight. And I learned my lesson. It's kind of like ambient. If mm-hmm. you're gonna, if you yeah. have to take it, like be laying down, ready to have your journey or sleep before you administer. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Break it down for us. All right. So, what do you want to really focus on? Let's talk it. Well, send me um, the agenda, and I got you. Okay. The agenda would be, or what's your? What do you really want to really the audience to come away with? Or do you, what do you really want to understand better about how this system works? First part is the synovial spinal fluid. Pushing up into your yeah, brain. Cerebrospinal fluid. Cere- yeah. Thank you. CSF, cerebrospinal. Cerebrospinal yeah. fluid. Pushing that up, smashing the pineal gland, the shit that happens with the crystals, the magnetic field, and then the release of those. Yeah, I love this. Those chemicals. This is so much fun. So there's this thing in. I get goosebumps just like thinking about this because this is my passion. Like, this is what I'm so interested in. There's this energetic field that Becker described, right? And wouldn't it make sense that if all these cells and organs are going to structure, I mean, think about this too. How does this part of your body know to be there and this part of your body know to be there and this part of your body know to be there? Not only is the field governing which genes are turned off and what, but where they're going. And that field starts the moment the sperm and the egg meet. The field of each of those cells, half cells really, meets and that field unwinds as the proteins start to unwind and as it develops as a baby, it unwinds. And it's being governed by, there's a, as the, as the proteins and genes and everything unwind in the water and the light and the energy, that is a field. That is creating a field. And then the field is governing 
the changes in the genes. So it's like stimulus response, stimulus response, stimulus response. And the organism unwinds literally from that set of GNA, it unwinds. It takes, you know, 26 years for full development. And then we start aging more. I mean, we're aging anyway, but so I got five more years of this brain developing. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's again, stimulus response, stimulus response. And that's how the field really is unwinding. So it would make sense then as a more developed human, besides just an embryo, but even in the more formative phases of the, of a life form, that you would be able to see certain maybe energy centers that sort of direct the different functions in different places, right? If you think about what we were talking about, Becker found this field and studied it and measured it. He didn't go so far as to measure each of the energy centers necessarily. His work was cut off by the, by the Navy. But, um, but so it makes sense that there would be some of these potentially centers that govern what's where, you know, because otherwise everything would just be everywhere. It wouldn't really work. The organism couldn't be structured. So sure enough, the Indians, you know, found 5,000 years ago or more that we have these, what they refer to as eight centers from the perineum, which is the core, the base center, um, which is our sex organs, basically our sexual energy. And that's down there. Then we have our second center, which is our digestive, you know, system, basically our gut. Third center is our solar plexus. Um, and I forget exactly which organ this actually correlates to the third center. I'm, I'm not sure if it's the, I believe it's the adrenal glands because that gives us our energy and our power and our, you know, push their back behind. So it makes sense. Uh, and our kidneys, I believe, are also related to the third center. I believe the, they're both in the same spot. The adrenals are tucked under the kidneys, if I'm not mistaken, but I'm not an anatomy expert. But anyhow, so going up, we have the heart, the center chakra, which is the fourth center or the fourth chakra is right in the center. I don't know the Sanskrit names, but anyone who's watching this could list all the Sanskrit names. Some woman did last night, but so that's the heart center. And then that's the gateway, as Joe says, between the three lower centers, which are more primitive survival and the higher faculties of the human being, which are the throat, which is the fifth center or chakra. And then the sixth, which is the pineal gland, which is located sort of like in between the eyes and then back towards the back of the brain, or Joe describes it as the back of the, between the back of the throat and the top, or the, I should say the back of the head. So it's kind of like in there, right in the middle, really. And then we have the seventh center, which is the fontanelle or like the crown of the head, the crown chakra. And then we have the eighth center, which is about 16 inches above the top of the head. And the energy, the cool part about it is as frequency and energy goes, each of these has a correlating light wavelength. So it's red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, and white is the crown. And so it's like, as you go up, like the humans that were a, sort of just like a increasing frequency system of energy. So anyway, now your question was about this flaming sword of consciousness, as someone's described it to me as. There's this, this energy is sort of related to the cerebrospinal fluid moving up the spine. So when Joe has us doing these breaths, we're literally squeezing our parent. We're taking a breath in while we pull the energy up along these centers using our breath, which you can do with your breath. You can try it. You squeeze the perineum. You squeeze in the stomach as if you're taking a, a breath in or like pretending you're basically like a starving child. It's kind of a weird way to put it. But if you're like, you know, sucking your ribs in all the way while squeezing your perineum, which is your sex organs, and then squeezing your core at the same time, that's really what that motion's like. And then you basically have your breath and you have to relax your neck and your shoulders completely and extend your spine for the best effect. And then you pump and you can actually move the energy up. Now, I personally am not an expert master in that breath. You've been doing Kundalini a lot longer than I have. So I don't really, I don't feel it quite as much as I think I will as I practice. But 
A lot of people do, and this is an ancient yogic breath as well, but it makes sense based on the evidence that Joe presents and you know what I understand, that when we squeeze, we are pumping that fluid up. And I think it, it cycles every couple of hours, the whole, whole cerebrospinal fluid, which bathes, it goes from the bottom of our spinal cord, it bathes our entire spinal cord, it's, it's basically there's the spine, the bone, then there's cerebrospinal fluid, which is sort of like a cushy fluid that cushions the, ner- the, the spinal cord, which is the, the core of the nervous system, which is like one could argue the center point of this energy se- centers that go up through our body. But really, it's just one physical manifestation of the energy centers because the energy centers are just energy. They're not matter. But so this is representative of that uh, flaming sword of consciousness, which I believe is... Uh, represented in some depictions as literally like two serpents or two flames that are spiraling like serpents around a sword. There's other depictions of it in different ways, but that's the idea. This is where life really exists in us. And so when we do that squeeze, we push that cerebrospinal fluid up and the cerebrospinal fluid doesn't just bathe the spinal cord. The entire brain is bathed in cerebrospinal fluid, including the pineal gland or pineal. Some people call it different things. Dr. Joe says pineal, pineal, I call it pineal. But basically, when you get a concussion, it's because you hit your head so hard that the cerebrospinal fluid wasn't like enough to stop it. And so it banged against the side of the skull and you got a bruise on your brain, essentially, as far as I understand. Uh, and this is interesting side note, based on the work of people like Dr. Cruz, you know, there is a potential that when we're getting more sunlight, we're drinking more structured, high quality water, our cerebrospinal fluid could be more viscous and more strong and protective Versus, and we'd be less prone, therefore, to maybe concussions or back, you know, spinal cord injuries versus people who are, you know, not getting any sun. The water's not as structured and therefore it might be, they might be more prone for issues like that damage and so on. But anyhow, so that fluid is bathing the pineal, pineal gland as well. So what happens is Dr. Joe's describing it is literally as we pump, it is, it's basically r- rolling around the pineal gland and And first of all, he talks about these little hairs on the pineal gland and it's sort of stimulating them and basically activating the pineal gland. But the key thing he's saying is is as the fluid moves around, we're kind of compressing the pineal gland just a little bit. And there's these crystals in the pineal gland which have been scientifically studied, found, imaged, and so on that basically detect energy from the environment. That's just the best way to put it. And then you start to step a little bit further into the domain of not woo-woo and unscientific, but just less studied. But basically when you make these crystals compress, because they're what he was calling piezoelectric or piezoelectric. And this is an effect that I read about in who, who but Dr. Robert O. Becker's books five or six years ago when I was reading that stuff for the first time. And he described that bone is piezoelectric too. So if you, and most of the body is, so if I for example, you know, compress your bone really hard, you push it in. And because there's sort of, it's an electromagnetic network of appetite and collagen is what makes up bone. And then there's co- uh, copper inside of there is like to help it conduct energy better. But when you compress it in a certain way, the compression of those proteins basically causes a bit of a, a ripple in the field. In other words, if you bend something one way and it wants to bend back, that's sort of what happens. You bend it, and so the field around those proteins, because they all have a field around them from their electromagnetic energy, changes, and that field stimulates, that changed field stimulates further growth. That's why if you, for example, if you punch, if I punch your arm a thousand times over, it would, you would start having thicker growth in the bone of that arm if you kept bruising it and hurting it over and over and over again. So that's piezoelectric. So a lot of the body is piezoelectric in, in its nature. So the whole idea, Dr. Joe, is, 
presenting here is that when we actually compress those crystals in the pineal gland by doing this breath and squeezing that cerebrospinal fluid, it's compressing the crystals and creating, because they're piezoelectric in nature as well, creating a field. And if we do it enough, it's really increasing the sensitivity and basically activating what he calls the radio receiver in our brain. Now, ideally, uh, if our pineal glands weren't calcified from drinking fluoridated water and that kind of thing and other things that we do that harm ourselves, we would not necessarily have to do some really strong squeezing breath. We would just be able to just have it sort of active as it's designed to be all the time for the things that even the things that the Native Americans, you know, in like world, different world wars were hired by the U.S. Army because they, they had these phenomenal abilities to detect certain things. Um, you know, this could very likely be related to their increased function of the pineal gland. So that's sort of the core. And the yogis have been doing this additionally for thousands of years because they know that it can activate higher states of consciousness. So that's sort of the core of how this, you know, pineal breath works, the kundalini type of breath works. And it isn't, you know, I don't, I don't need to really convince anyone here. It seems like I'm almost talking as if I do, but it isn't some unscientific woo-woo concept. There's actually a lot of supporting evidence based on what we're talking about here with the field, the cerebrospinal fluid, the field that that creates as it flows through the body because it's full of charged particles. And so by doing the movement of that cerebrospinal fluid, we're increasing the strength of our field. It could even be that it has less to do with the pineal although I can't say for sure whether that's the case or not, and maybe more with just the flow of getting that cerebrospinal fluid flowing because our field is related to that. You know, in, in other words, even though the field governs the particles, like we're talking about in, in the development of a child, there's, there's, the particles can also govern the field or, or affect the field if we use them in certain ways and move them in certain the ways. The other trippy thing about that activating of the pineal gland and moving those crystals is that it, and correct me if I if I got this wrong. And for the sake of this, and I'll probably have said this in the intro, this is just our interpretation of Joe's. We are not official yes. Joe Dispenza work no, teachers. You know, we're just we're trying to hash it out so that we understand it. So I just want to make that clear. But also I remember him talking about that there is a a polarity, a negative charge and a positive charge that's created within the space of that pineal gland, essentially turning it into a battery. Yeah. Right. Magnet. Yeah. A ma- I'm sorry, a magnet. Yeah. A magnet that is then somehow facilitating our perception of consciousness or higher states of consciousness. Totally. So yeah. it goes back to that kind of the antenna yeah. receiver part of the brain where you're able to go, oh, there's more here than energetically than yeah. meets the eye. Um, in the interest of time, you know, let's we, get into light and DMT. We, yeah, we but might, yeah, but the, just one thing we is might when, have to hop on a Zoom call. When like you compress that the magnet, last 30 minutes. When you compress the magnet, that's when it, it, because it's piezoelectric, its field gets stronger and larger. That's the idea. Got it. Okay. So by doing that compression with that breath, that field of that particular gland gets stronger. But let's talk about melatonin and yeah. DMT and yeah, stuff. Because this is really wild. Because I, as I was telling you, I had a DMT ceremony last, uh, well, two weeks ago now in Austin. And uh, it just primed the pump in such a major way that Joe's work now is like so deep, so easy. And I'm just like that space. And so I don't know what that has to do with it other than just, wow, what's changed for me with the work that we're doing here? Because like, it's so much easier and I go to such a deeper place. But I think that these, you know, some of the plant medicines and psychedelics and, and Joe's work and all this, they're really taking us 
to the same peak of the mountain. They're just a different trail yeah. to get there or a different window into the mansion, right? Yeah. So I just find it so fascinating that regular people that would never be open to or where those experiences wouldn't be appropriate can do this work and trip balls and elevate their consciousness and understanding of all of life. It's just incredible. So t- tell us about the biochemistry as you understand yes. it. Yes. So uh, first of all, I want to say that there's a guy in... Uh, the health world who, you know, started one of the really big health product companies out there. And he actually told me that in his opinion, taking something like psychedelic, it'll, it'll get you to the top of the mountain. It's like, um, you know, for like skiing, you take it to the top of the mountain and then you can ride all the way down and you're going to get a really strong ride when you take a psychedelic. Whereas like meditation, he, he compared it more like surfing where you're going to go out, you might not catch a huge wave every time, but sometimes you'll catch the greatest wave of your life, you know? So it's just a different approach. But I like Dr. Joe's work because I think in a similar sense, you know, if you take psychedelics, there's a lot of people I I feel who take psychedelics a lot and are still not quite getting the type of changes they want in their life necessarily because they get a sight of where they could be, but they're not putting in the work to get there necessarily. Although again, some might very rightfully argue that, using psychedelics. And again, I don't have a lot of experience with them. So this is not the most educated statement, but some might argue that that is what psychedelics do because it forces you to face a lot of the trauma and stuff. So, you know, that might be in reality. I think in my experience, both are true. Yeah. Having a psychological framework and understanding and having tools to integrate the lessons that you learn in those experiences or in a meditation, I think is really important. I was thinking about this this morning. I thought, what would be the point of just getting a gateway into a different uh, realms of reality if you're not able to bring that back with you and have a, a model or a framework by which to affect change in your life and in your character. Otherwise, you're just a traumatized asshole that <laughs> had a beautiful experience and you come back to being who you are, right? So mm-hmm. the integration and, and for who me... You, who you have become because yeah. that's really not who they are. Yeah, right? exactly, yeah. exactly. But anyway, uh, carry on. So yeah, and, so talking, speaking about DMT, so I'm actually going to pull up the slide. Um, there was a... a I had taken notes on the slide of Dr. Joe's about what happens with serotonin and melatonin. But first of all, I want to note that melatonin has all these benefits that Dr. Joe is talking about. And I've talked about a lot of these because my product, Blue Blocking Glasses from Raw Optics, we make these people who wear these have higher levels of melatonin and get all of these benefits. So I was loving the lecture. I know we were both stoked at the same time listening like, oh, like I was like, I'm stoked Luke knows that I'm listening to this and I'm stoked he's listening to this. I was thinking of you the whole time. I I can't wait till the break comes so I can talk to Maddie about this. Yeah, it was so great. So so melatonin basically stops stress in studies. These are all the clinically studied things about melatonin. So it lowers stress, stops stress, and improves carbohydrate metabolism, which in other words, it makes our body better at using certain fuel sources, and therefore it lowers our triglycerides in the blood so that people aren't, um, you know, putting on as much fat uh, and inhibits in these studies, uh, gluconeogenesis, or I should say atherosclerosis, pardon me. So, which is where the hardening of the stuff in the arteries that causes people to have heart disease. It heightens our immune response, very relevant at this present time in the world for those who are interested, decreases tumors, um, increases lifespan, reduces body weight, helps people lose weight. It's neuroprotective. It increases REM sleep, which is like our dreaming lucid state. 
um, in which some would argue we're sort of like creating our reality or tapping into different layers of, of consciousness. If it scavenges free radicals, which is huge and largely responsible for a lot of the other benefits here in our mitochondria, and it promotes DNA repair. So those are the things that jo Dr. Joe listed about melatonin. Um, the other one that wasn't on there really is it helps repair our mitochondria by scavenging these free radicals and repairing DNA, but very specifically mitochondrial DNA, as well as nuclear DNA to some extent. So melatonin is this amazing thing, but what Dr. Joe's real interest is, is how it gets upgraded. So before we get deeper into that, those upgrades, talking about the way melatonin is first created, there's a bit of a, a chart of, it goes from tryptophan, it goes through basically a couple things, it becomes serotonin, then it becomes melatonin. And one of the cool things about the research of Dr. Alexander Wunsch, who you interviewed uh, a while back, and that's an amazing episode I recommend people check out as well. He told me how when we're getting sunlight, basically, and this is something he studied and his predecessors have researched, when we get light from the sun, especially UVA light, it activates the eye and the optic nerve in the brain in such a way that our body is stimulated to produce, take serotonin, or I should say tryptophan, the precursor amino acid, and turn it into serotonin, which can then be converted into melatonin. And this is an interesting, th interesting thing about tryptophan is that it's an aromatic amino acid, which means that it has these a structure in it that's called a benzene ring that specifically absorbs ultraviolet light. So every biological molecule in the body, we're beings of light. Every single cell, every single molecule, every single thing we use as organisms, enzymes, everything has specific absorption wavelengths of light. In other words, the reason, the way we're able to be so complex, just to cut straight to the chase on this one, is because we utilize every single possible frequency of light in the sun, or as many as we can, to develop different systems. In other words, different proteins, different biomolecules are all tuned to different frequencies of light. So when people say, oh, get sunlight, get vitamin D, I'm like, yeah, get vitamin D and a million other things, you know, 800 of which are research or hundreds of which are researched and then probably thousands of which we don't even know. Does that kind of make sense? Because yeah, the sun totally. is a continuous spectrum. We need the wavelengths of different energies of the sun to do a lot of different things beyond just vitamin D production, although that's a very important. What's one. interesting about that too is within the visible light spectrum, you have the colors of the rainbow, which also coincide, as you were indicating earlier, with these energy centers in the body. That's what's really interesting. So imagine, I don't even know what the connection is there, but the sun is activating something within yes. those centers as well. Absolutely. And I, I would the have to take some time to think about that, but yes, Yeah, maybe certainly. we'll do part two, but the, yeah, the coherence of that information, which light carries information. Well, think about this. I got it's it. So, wild. So the sun's most primary dominant, this is a great way to put it, is the most dominant amount of light in the sun that hits the earth is red and infrared. So our most fundamental functions, this is really interesting right now. Whoa, it's like a download. <laughs> our most fundamental energy system is our survival and reproduction. That's red. That's the majority of sunlight energy. As you go up the centers, there's less and less of that light present in the sun, that particular component. So one might argue, which I always have for the last three years, people should listen to this podcast, that UV light, people say is bad for us. UV light is not bad for us. UV light is the, is the highest energy, ultraviolet. So this is beyond violet. And that's the white light at the, over the top of the head. But it's the, it's the least present in the sun. But that is what, again, people say it causes skin cancer because they're completely disillusioned and lacking in scientific understanding of what the sun does to our body. But as we grow, or I should say, basically my theory now based on our conversation, and this is just a hypothesis, this is not proven in any sense, but is that 
our ability to become a more complex organism is dependent on greater amounts of sunlight present. In other words, higher frequencies of sunlight present. So first of all, saying ultraviolet light causes skin cancer, I I always respond to people, no, ultraviolet light is what allowed us to become complex organisms because our atmosphere allowed just a little bit more light from the sun of a higher wavelength to come through so that we're able to be just a little bit more like the sun in a sense, a little bit more like that energy. So it makes sense that a large part of our energy is centered in that base and then there's a little bit less, uh, if I might be incorrect about this, but I believe this is accurate, there's a little bit less orange in the sun than there is red. And there's a little bit less yellow in the sun than there is orange. There's a little bit less green in the sun than there is yellow and so on, blue less than green, and then violet, uh, indigo and violet less than blue, and then ultraviolet less than visible violet. And so it would make sense that the development of the human coincides with the proportion of the sun present or the light frequencies present in the sun. And I would go as far as saying, which I always have for the last couple of years, is that in order for us to have this high level of this high functioning brain that allows us to have such a strong, powerful field and be sort of the apex predator and a very intellectual high level being, is the power of the sun, the ultraviolet light that we take in from the sun. And this is why, you know, again, people like Dr. Cruz, um, well, I can't say this is why he argues it, but he, he makes a very great point that humans lost our hair in order to become solar panels and assimilate light. So yeah, we're, we got to roll in a minute, <laughs> okay. but we got another minute. So basically, long story short, just to sum this up, melatonin is essential for health. So basically, to sum this all up, and we will have to follow up at some point, but basically- then from creating melatonin, which happens, melatonin's creation happens when we get this, the, so we have tryptophan in our diet, we have sunlight, and then we have absence of light in the evening, which is, allows us to take serotonin and really basically convert it into melatonin and really secrete and release our melatonin as the, both the light in the morning helps with those creation, that creation and the secretion, the release of it occurs in darkness or at least absence of blue light because blue light is the particular wavelength that the receptors in the eye that communicate with the hypothalamus and the pineal gland absorb to know whether it's day or night. It's not all the colors, it's just blue. That's why the glasses we make block just blue light, um, particularly, and green at night, because the system is a little bit sensitive to green, but not nearly as much as it is to blue. So anyway, what happens though, when serotonin becomes melatonin, it actually turns into a bunch of different things. Um, These include hallucinogenic effects. So like DMT, you know, that's very interesting that that occurs. They convert into more potent forms of antioxidants than melatonin. It converts into sedatives like benzodiazepine that can be converted into these bioluminescent molecules. It can also be converted into something that allows us to hibernate, which is methoxytryptamine. So um, anyway, which is similar to DMT. Very, They're all very similar to one another. But so it's almost like melatonin. And this is what Dr. Jack Cruz has taught. I don't want to misrepresent his, his, the way he describes these things. So what I'm saying isn't an exact representation of anything Dr. Cruz teaches, but as I've learned a lot of this stuff from him, he's always said, as I understand it, that melatonin is sort of like a carrier of light to do certain physiological things in the body. In other words, it isn't melatonin. Melatonin is just the messenger for the light information. Does that oh, make wow. sense? So, so it makes sense. And melatonin is one of the most important molecules that our body has evolved using things like ultraviolet light. So think of melatonin as a physical correlate to changes in the energy field. So the sun changes our energy field, that affects melatonin and 
melatonin then is that representative for the sun to do certain things in our consciousness and our body. So since melatonin is one of the most evolved molecules in our body that was actually developed a long time ago when oxygen became abundant in our environment and uh, was needed as a very potent antioxidant to combat the oxidative effects of oxygen um, so that we could use it as a fuel source because oxygen is very volatile, but we use it fine because we have melatonin to help us scavenge the oxidative effects of it. But anyway, it would make sense then that if you're able to just go a little bit higher frequency than this already super duper advanced biomolecule that's a very re a good representative for really important stuff happening in the body, why couldn't it go a little further, right? It could go to the next level, become a more potent antioxidant, become more potent uh, uh, giver of visions to see and understand the environment in ways that we're typically not aware of. And that's what these, so I don't think of it like on the, on the, the chart Dr. Dispenza had on the screen, it was going down from serotonin and the melatonin and all these other things. Personally, for my ideal representation, it would be working up because it's almost like these molecules are pinnacles representing higher levels of energy in our field and consciousness. And so that pumping helps to, based on the movement of the electromagnetic field, as far as I understand, can help us to convert that melatonin into the DMT. But I believe that living the light diet with the, getting your uh, sunrise, sunset, uh, daily light exposure throughout the day, good. Those are the first three steps of the light diet. Avoiding unfluoridated water, um, or uh, avoiding fluoridated water, I should say, because you calcify the pineal gland. Which, can't do which I want to add in most of your bottled drinks are going to be made with tap water and yeah. you don't know what the filtration so method bad. was. And, and the molecule of fluoride is so hard to get out of water that you really want to make sure the bottled drinks you're drinking on a regular basis, in my yeah. opinion, are without fluoride, which would have to take a reverse osmosis or some really hardcore filtration yeah, so, medium to get it out. Anyway. Yeah. So that's the deal. Um, so <laughs> basically badass. we've covered pretty much everything we possibly could for the time we have. Yeah. It's never enough with you, dude. I, yeah, <laughs> anytime well, we sit down, we got to just go, right, three hour block. I know. Yeah. But no, you got to get to the yeah, airport. I think we tied a nice bow on it here. The moral of the story is this, that within, within our human biological system, whether it's biochemical, chemical, anatomical, whatever the case may be, if, if we're able to learn and harness and practice these uh, methods and methods like this as a way of life, we can, in fact, increase our capacity for higher states of awareness and consciousness and the ability to heal our body, to heal emotional trauma, to become fully whole and integrated. And we don't need anything else except our intention and an open mind and a little bit of discipline uh, and exertion to learn the practices and to apply them. And the rest is done by source God. Exactly. I agree. And yeah. there's one other thing I think that uh, just a download that just came in for me is that uh, these molecules, so organisms are always evolving, right? How does that happen? Does it happen super slowly over generations or could it happen really quickly? And based on the model that I've learned about of epigenetics and all this stuff, evolution can happen very rapidly within an individual organism. And then that changes the function, aka the consciousness of the entire rest of the species. You know, so in other words, evolution isn't slow and stagnant. It's fast and reactive to changing environmental right, circumstances. Right. So we'll just tie it up in a bow with this. Is it possible that maybe as melatonin was a change, it was a solution to a changing environment a long, long time ago that allowed us to sort of elevate our function consciousness as you could describe it, function of the organism in one way as consciousness. Is it possible that DMT is sort of, and these other derivatives of melatonin, as I'm putting them up on a pedestal, like the pinnacle of human evolution, if you saw my hands, they're going, I'm, I'm putting them up, that 
that these are the molecules that are signaling the next stage of human evolution into greater levels oh, of consciousness. Shit, bro. That those are the, the next, <laughs> and that DMT could become the next melatonin. In other words, it's just a normal way that we live as wow. multidimensional energetic beings at a higher level of consciousness and awareness. I don't know, but... I love you, dude. Love you too. That was pretty good. That was badass. Fun combo. Get, yeah. get to the airport. Yeah, I got to go. So right, you're a champion, dude. All, All right. right. I'm going to so un- unpack this conversation and we'll we'll continue it. Uh, this is fun. At another time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come to Austin. Hang I'm out stoked. With, All right. I'm going to. Hang out with too. the crew yeah, there. We'll dude, do another one. Best. I'm going to give you a hug before we go, but right, thanks man. team. Well, as they say in the radio business, the hits just keep on coming, folks. And this episode, I trust, was no exception. Uh, What a treat, man, to sit down and get to unpack all of this with Matt. For a young guy, I just am always um, in shock and awe at his level of understanding. And I knew as we both sat separately in the Joe Dispenza event, and I mean, I'd run into him in the breaks and we'd hang out and whatnot, but I just knew he was going to take great notes. And I knew he would be able to break it down in a way that I could understand. Uh, sometimes Joe's work is, I mean, it's very accessible, but it, it, it gets quite scientific at points and I feel my eyes kind of glazing over. Uh, so it was really neat to get Matt's take on it and especially really diving into the relationship between light and consciousness. That to me was like, whoa, this episode actually was going to be just a 15 minute kind of bonus that I was going to throw on the one that I did with Allison. Uh, during this retreat. But when I sat down with Matt, I realized very quickly, oh no, this is going to be its own episode. And so we just had to keep going. And some of the stuff that came up at the end around the spectrum of light and the different colors as they pertain to the chakras and our higher awareness. So Matt and I were getting chills, like it was goosebump city. Uh, I could be mistaken. You <laughs> might not have had that same experience, but both of us were like, oh shit, I think we just discovered something, you know? Uh, so it was really, really powerful conversation. And, uh, was very helpful for me in terms of integrating some recent five MEO DMT experiences, as well as you know, just becoming a much more consistent and committed with the Joe Dispenza meditations. I mean, I've meditated for a long, long time, a lot of different styles. And I don't know, for some reason right now, uh, a little bit before, uh, during, and after this particular retreat that you just listened to a recap of, Man, I've just been having the most beautiful, deep meditations um, using Joe's MP3s that I got off his website. I I, I should be an affiliate for Joe. I'm such a cheerleader for his work. But uh, I really do it just because it's, it's had such a tremendous impact on me. And I think what he's done is just so unique that he's taken these esoteric spiritual practices and teachings and made them accessible for your average person and, um, and really created just a foolproof way to tap into consciousness and to elevate yourself. And as a result, uh, it's my understanding that as we each elevate ourselves, that uh, we thus elevate those around us. And so I'm just a huge fan of this work, huge fan of Matt Maruka. And more than anything, friends, I'm a huge fan of you for supporting this work and coming back again and again. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, I'm Luke. I'm your your, uh, endlessly curious guest. I just have a thirst for truth, man. And I think this gig is a perfect one for me because I'd be doing it whether or not it was being recorded or not. Honestly, these are the kind of conversations I like to have. Some people talk about the Dodgers. Some people talk about um, the Kardashians. I talk about consciousness and how to make your brain make more DMT. 
to me, that's, that's the only thing that really matters is how do we evolve? How do we generate more love in our lives for ourselves and, and those about us? And, uh, and uh, Matt is a great guide for us and a great friend to help facilitate that process. Speaking of processes and facilitation, oh man, next week's episode number 334. <laughs> oh dude, wowza. Bad trips and psychic flips round and round on the medicine wheel with my friend Kyle Kingsbury, another one recorded in Austin, Texas. And let me see the date of this release. You know, I record these things sometimes ahead of time. Oh yeah, this would, uh, this release you're listening to now for posterity would be February 26th, 2021. And this would have meant that I arrived in Austin a few days ago where next week's episode with Kyle was recorded. So uh, at the time of you listening to this, I have officially left Los Angeles after 32 years. God bless California. Love you. It's been real. But man, I'm super excited to uh, make my way southeast for a new life there with my lovely fiance, soon to be bride, Allison. And uh, next week's episode, you guys, as the title would indicate, is a really fascinating exploration into some of Kyle's recent uh, experiences in the medicine world. And um, and by medicine, I'm not I'm not talking about Tylenol. Uh, what a cosmonaut, man! Uh, wow, <laughs> I'm just remembering some of the things that he experienced at that time, and I'm not going to spoil it. But if you're someone who's had experience with psychedelics or plant medicines, or someone who's curious about it. Uh, next week's show on Tuesday would definitely be uh, one you want to listen to as sort of, um, I don't know if a, a warning might be a little strong, but um, just another side of how these experiences can sometimes go. And Kyle's great. I've talked to him since. He's doing fine. But at the time of that recording, he had just, you know, been taken through, uh, dragged through the the briar patch a bit by the old uh, medicinas. So looking forward to dropping that one. If you enjoyed this episode and uh, any other episodes you've uh, listen to prior and feel like you want to support, there's two easy ways to do it. The first one is free, man. Just as I always say, I'm like a broken record. Share this episode with a few friends. You know, if you know someone that's interested in medica- uh, medication, uh, me- same thing, uh, meditation. I always say, um, you know, prayer and medication uh, for prayer and meditation because I think meditation is nature's best medicine. But uh, if you've benefited from this show, um, just share it with some friends, man. It's really easy on most apps, you know, Spotify, the Apple podcast app, text it to a couple friends. Uh, word of mouth is the most powerful way to spread the good word. And uh, I can only hope and I feel pretty confident that I'm sharing guests and ideas here that are going to uplift uh, humanity in some small or large way. So if you want to support the show, that's an easy and free way to do it. And I highly encourage you to do so and thank you in advance if you so choose. Now, if you want to support your health and find out about our sponsors like Organify in this particular episode and Ken Euphorics and Bioptimizers, then you want to get yourself over to lukestory.com slash store. That's lukestory.com slash store. You will not only find links and discount codes to all of our illustrious sponsors, but you'll also find over 100 of my personal favorite products for biohacking, supplements, herbs, different healing technologies, fitness gear, and even groceries. So again, go to lukestory.com slash store. In not all cases, but in some cases, when you make purchases through the store using my links and my codes, you'll uh, help Luke Story Inc. to earn some commission and help this thing 
stay on the rails because trust me, I need funding to build out the new studio in Austin, Texas. That's right. Remember how Joe Rogan moved to Austin and built a new studio? Well, I'm going to be doing the same. Only, um, well, actually, his has a lot of red light. <laughs> actually, I might, I might adopt the red light look, but I don't think mine's going to look like a space capsule. It'll probably be something more like a, hopefully, a very chic living room. Uh, I want it to be super cozy. Um, and, you know, all of these things, hiring video editors and sound editors and getting the transcripts written and having someone maintain the website and all these things cost money. And uh, going through lukestory.com slash store is a way that you can help contribute so that I can continue this work and uh, pay all the people that I got to pay to make this thing happen. Uh, that said, the most important thing that you can contribute, of course, is your kind attention for which I'm eternally grateful. Thank you for supporting our guests and supporting our work. Uh, Make sure to follow Matt Maruka and his company, Raw Optics. Make some fantastic blue blocking eyewear. Uh, Matty's a classy guy, so he's not overtly promotional, but they really do have some uh, really great glasses over there that you can check out if you're interested in uh, the production of your melatonin and serotonin and all those things that uh, have the potential to uh, metabolize into dimethyltryptamine and you get a little dimethyltryptamine in your blood baby and you are off to the races and with that my friends i'm off to the next recording god bless talk to you next week 